You are listening to the Exploring Family Business podcast brought to you by Mazars, a resource of insights, information and knowledge sharing from family business owners, their advisors and key individuals involved in the day-to-day running of a family business. I am your host, Natalie Wright, Head of Family Business at Mazars UK and having worked extensively with family businesses for a number of years, I'm keen to support this valuable sector of our society. At Mazars, we believe there is nothing more personal than a family business. Every family and every business are unique. So we look forward to sharing a number of interviews, conversations and panel discussions with you each week as we explore what is top of the agenda for family businesses in the UK. Now on to this week's show. Hello and welcome to Exploring Family Business, brought to you by Mazars. I'm your host, Natalie Wright, and as this is our first episode, I think it's only right to explain to you who I am and what to expect from the podcast as we progress through season one. As head of family business for Mazars UK, I lead our family business offering, working alongside different teams so we can support businesses and their owners with their long-term strategies. I'm also a Chartered Financial Planner, so I believe I'm in quite a unique position in that as well as being part of the business advisory team, I've also been working closely with a wide range of family businesses over the last seven years, providing financial advice and wealth management, often to two or three generations of a family, to ensure that their business planning and personal planning goals are aligned. In our first podcast series, we've decided to address some of the issues that family businesses are facing on a continuous basis, despite the changing economic and political backdrop, as well as the things that make family businesses unique. We'll be linking back to the themes that we highlighted in our 2019 family business survey to see how these have been affected by the current environment. And I've detailed a link in our show notes for anyone who'd like a copy of the survey. And finally, we'll also be considering how the actions that some businesses have already taken and the actions that they'll need to take in the future may affect their family dynamics and their long-term legacy. So without further ado, let's get on with our first show. Joining me today is Mari Mickle, the founder and owner of Business Families, a consultancy that provides specialist continuity and exit planning support to family businesses as well as being a fourth-generation member of a Scottish family business. And Paul Andrews, founder and CEO of Family Business United, an award-winning magazine and resource centre that champions family businesses. Paul has spent over 20 years working in the sector and celebrating the contribution that family firms make to the UK economy. Thank you both for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I don't think I could be speaking with two people more experienced and knowledgeable when it comes to family businesses, not just because of the roles you have in supporting family business owners, but also because you've both grown up in a family business and have experienced firsthand the challenges this can bring, both from a personal and business perspective. So, Mari, if I can come to you first, could you explain a little about who you are, your background and more about business families? Morning. Thank you so much for having me on today. So you, you covered that in my introduction. I have a consultancy. I work as a family business advisor with SME businesses in the UK primarily who are going through some kind of transition. My background is I spent 10 years in the boardroom at my family business, McTaggart & Mickle, who are based in Glasgow. We are construction business primarily. I'm now an active owner there. I'm part of the fourth generation. 
business is almost 100 years old, actually. Also, I sit on the faculty for the Family Farm Institute out of Boston, which is a series of advisory educational conducted online. I also have a role with Lancaster University Management School and the Institute of Directors also offering family business governance and exec ed programs. I'm also a non-exec on a family business in Colorado. So really, if you sort of broke me in half, I'd be like the stick of rock. I am all family business through and through, coach, advisor, facilitator, mediator. So most of the work I do is really supporting planning and working on communication as family and businesses together go through some kind of transition. Thanks, Mary. Gosh, I feel very honoured to have you on, on this opening show, especially given everything you've covered there. Paul, over to you. Can you just explain a bit more about you and your background? Yeah, of course. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Paul Andrews. I run Family Business United and have done for the last 10 years. My background, I grew up in my father's business. Actually, my father was a Coleman when I was growing up, but worked with my aunt, cousins and nephews. And, and I probably saw firsthand at that time what it was like to live and, and breathe a family business. Although, to be honest, it didn't really resonate in those days. I went off to university, came back and qualified as an accountant and spent 10 years working with family firms. I loved my clients and loved the stories behind them, loved the family business narrative and took that forward to a role with a different accounting firm where I was involved in their global family business consulting research piece. And that led to a website and I went to work for a family firm as managing director, a traditional business really in hospitality and hotels where there was the reluctance to change. And my, my remit was really to help them try and drive some of those changes through in their business. And at the end of that role, I set up a marketing consultancy and that led to the creation of FBU, which has now been going and is a resource centre really to champion the sector, but also really to provide resources to help families in business deal with the challenges they face on a, on a daily basis. Thanks, Paul. I mean, as I said in my introduction, I don't think I could be um, with two people more experienced in understanding the challenges that family businesses are facing, not least in light of what's going on in 2020. But Paul, if I could just start with you, you've obviously been working closely with the family business community for many years now. And I'm sure you have seen a lot of change in that time, not least in the last four years, you know, we dare say the dreaded Brexit word and then now COVID-19 but looking at the the current environment and what has happened so far this year crisis management aside what have you recognized as being the biggest challenge that family businesses are now facing? I think it's important to put into context Natalie first if, if I can just, just in terms of the sector I think all too often people underestimate the size and scope of family business in the UK and there are nearly five million family firms in the UK today and they employ about 13 and a half million people. So it's a massive sector. And it's often referred to as the engine room of, of the UK economy. And I think that's a fair, fair analogy. In terms of the last few months, it's been really difficult for everybody. Some firms have done really well. Others have, have really struggled. Some of the government schemes have really helped. I, I think probably one of the biggest challenges they've, they've all had to deal with is communication. Some staff have been at work. Some have been on furlough. Some people have actually recruited new people into the business too. And it's actually continuing that communication strategy and making sure the clear messages are going out to everybody, stakeholders, sort of shareholders, customers, suppliers, that people are either open for business or they're not or how they can help. But, but really communication, I think, has been really key. I think that's a really valid point, actually. And Mari, would you say, say that that's what you're seeing with your clients and also, for that matter, your own family business? Definitely. I think one of the things I'm seeing around communication is that if you can't share information, by definition, how are you going to be able to work together? 
And since we're all not facing each other day to day across the boardroom table, if that's where the decisions are made, you have to work a little bit harder just to make sure that everyone is able to communicate on the right topic at the right time. So that's coming up. Also, and what I'm seeing a lot of is owners of family businesses who are wanting more insight back into the business itself. They're thinking, I don't really quite know what's going on here. The business is moving on very quickly. We're having to make some really key decisions about what our future holds. And I'm seeing owners who've maybe retired or who have stepped away wanting a bit more insight. And again, I think that comes back to Paul's point about communication. That's a really interesting point, actually. And and also the, the fact of, you know, one thing that we often discuss, Paul and I have been through it a few times, that letting go for some business owners is always very difficult. And I imagine in a crisis, it's even more so that there's that want to maybe get involved in the business again, maybe where they've started to take a step back. Have you seen any of that? I think tension, there's some underlying tension that I've seen in regards, particularly businesses that are moving towards generation two. So the founders are still maybe on the edges of the business, maybe still driving the business. And the tension can come from, it's your investment of your time into your business. And often if you're then feeling, say the over 70s for a long time, were not able to visit their businesses. They actually weren't able to go there. And I was noticing that tension was starting to arise intergenerationally um, at that point where people were feeling a bit removed. If that's your financial security tied up in your business forever, and you're thinking, I'm unsure of if the business is going to survive because of COVID, there's a tension that gets created. I guess that's where we always see kind of the personal aspect and the family dynamics playing out, isn't it? What's your experience, Paul? I'd echo what Mari said there, Natalie, in terms of the, the next generation stepping up and the, the older generation maybe wanting to step down before COVID and before the pandemic. But actually, I think it's been all hands to the pump and mm. the, the older generation very much have a lot of history and, and past association and passion for that business. So harnessing that in the right way has been a really positive thing. Again, it comes back to communication. And as Murray said, some of it's been distanced. I think one of the positives that I've seen come out of it is I've, I've spoken to quite a lot of CEOs and board members where they've been forced onto new technology like Zoom, like, like Teams, and they've been rather than just going about their daily basis and, and their daily jobs, they've forced themselves to have regular Zoom calls with the whole board to move things forward strategically. So shared vision and values has come to the fore. But they've also found out more about each, about each other and the way they live. And Zoom background shows a little bit about personality. So personalities have, have helped build those relationships. And I've seen some boards get stronger as a result of coming together to deal with the challenges they face because they know they have to. I guess timing to a point that you mentioned as well, Mari, you know, thinking that for some business owners this is their entire livelihood this could be that their future dare I say it, retirement plan the, the financial security for the rest of their life so succession planning is always a really hot topic and I think even more so at the moment as we're seeing a lot of businesses possibly now reconsidering their plans for the future and looking around at existing employees family members the external market perhaps changing the views about where the business is going in the future, do you think it might be accelerating or possibly changing their views on what succession planning might look like for them? It's a difficult time because there's lots of things going on at once. We are in the UK in the midst of quite a major generational transition occurring anyway in the background. And then on top of it, we've had Brexit to be thinking about for a couple of years. 
and then COVID really landing squarely in the way of much of how people are getting on day to day in their business. If you had a business plan, you may have ripped that up in this time, or you may have had to pivot away to a, a new line of a product or just squash something that you've been working on primarily in research and innovation and think about what else you can bring through to really meet your customer demands and keep on top of your market. And I've seen a lot of time and effort. People are now that things are not so hands on the deck. We know what the government is saying in regards uh, what grants and loans are going to be available people are starting to move through more towards a planning phase now, as I'm seeing, where they're thinking about, is the business plan still relevant? What have we actually been doing in the past six months? And how do we want to continue some of those really good practices into the future? And off the back of that, who do we need to deliver that? Have we still got a relevant team? And that's where the succession planning piece comes on board. So have we still got the right team in the management? Have we still got the right team in the board? Where are the family populated in those positions to actually deliver where the business is heading? I think that sums it up really well, actually. And, you know, with so much talk now about business transformation and digital technologies, this constant reference to, to the new normal, which none of us really know at this stage what that might look like. But, you know, do you think we will see that rise in the number of family businesses starting to engage in discussion with next, the next generation? And, and what issues or opportunities do you see ahead in, in that regard? Possibly one that you might be seeing firsthand, Paul, as well, with, with a lot of the Family Business United members. It's a challenge. I think succession is always going to be a challenge, Natalie. I, th- I think for us as an organisation, it's really important to try and position both sides of the story. There's, there's difficulties sometimes with people stepping down, but there's also some skill issues with some of the next generation stepping up. So I think it's really important that, that, that families have the conversation. I think... Some of the families that, that, that are out there that are, are still sort of firefighting to an extent may have put succession on the back burner for a short period because they're actually trying to deal with the day-to-day operation. But, but succession's not going to go away. And, and, and my fear is that those that have put it on the back burner will, will end up having to deal with it at a day which they're not looking forward to, where, where it's forced upon them due to the death of, a, death of somebody close or, or a leader stepping back because of ill health. And, and the plan is really important to make sure the right people are in the right places to manage the business after they, they, they've, they've moved on to the next stage in, in their, their lives. I think the next generation are all, always willing. I think the last three or four months has seen a massive uptake in terms of digital solutions, digital planning, things that may have been in the pipeline, but not really delivered or developed to the stage they had to. We've seen family firms literally put a, build a website and, and go from wholesale distribution to uh, retail distribution of food products within two, three weeks and, and having to, to really pivot completely and change their plans. So bringing the next generation skills to the fore and giving them opportunities, I think we've seen quite a lot of that over the last, last few months. And I, I just hope the succession conversation continues because it really does have to. Mari, I'm sure there's lots of family businesses out there. You mentioned the point about second generation as well, kind of being quite prominent. It's easy, isn't it, to get so entrenched in the day-to-day running of a business that you don't think about these longer-term issues or, you know, you just foresee yourself running the business forever. Where should a family business start when they need to think about the succession plan and they actually want to construct one? Let's say that they've not really thought about it to this point. What would the starting point be if you were talking to a family business today? I wish more people would think about the planning ahead, but often, as Paul said, that's not the case. It might be a health scare or even a death, or actually the business might come into severe financial trouble, as I'm, as I'm seeing here. I've just been speaking to a Generation 2 
hospitality business in Scotland who've decided to close their doors, combined with that the founder in his 90s became seriously unwell with, with COVID. He has survived that. And that, that has brought about, those two really tricky situations have brought about a conversation about what's next and how to plan for that. I try and not think about succession planning as a term because I, what I've come to understand is sometimes people who are the founders of the business or the older generation feel they are being succeeded and no longer of use. So I try to think about a succession as a transition. So it's a journey. It doesn't have an end point. And, it's, and often the start point is when there is a need in the family for something different. And so where I often ask families to think about is what their intention is. What's your vision? Why are you in business together? What's this business for? And really try to get people to consider what's next for them in that regard. How are you aligned as a family around what you want for your business and from your business? So that's really where I start with conversations. But normally what you're presented with is as a need. And you have to address that need. It can mean incredibly different things to different people to plan a transition. I guess that involves some really open and honest discussions then. So how do you balance up those personal needs and you know, desires of individuals with those of the business? And how do you avoid that family conflict, particularly at the start? Because I think that might be, you know, I'm sure we'll have some listeners who maybe want to bring up succession with the rest of the family, but don't necessarily know how to go about it because they're concerned about that potential conflict. Natalie, it's all about conversation, I, I think. And actually, whatever the stimulus to get that conversation started, be it an article someone's read, be it a podcast they've listened to, I think it's important that, that the conversation is, is, is brought up in, in the right way. And it might be through a facilitator, someone like Murray, that can actually broker that conversation be, between the interested parties. I think one of the start points for me is making sure that the family are honest in terms of who has an interest in taking something forward and may be interested in actually driving a business into the next generation. And I think the flip side of that is actually trying to make sure that the older generation understand that it's not necessarily the end of their role and involvement in the business. There are ambassadorial roles and chairmanship roles and other roles that maybe don't involve so much day-to-day activity, but, but actually are really important to the family in the community and continue that presence in the community. So the, the older generation don't feel they're being put out to pasture, but they have an opportunity to still have an involvement and a say and bring the generations together so that collectively they can move forward. But it's, it's all about that start conversation. And, and how it happens. I would absolutely echo that. I think Paul's right. And, and often I get phone calls because somebody's heard me talk at a conference or they've, they've read an article I've put out and it's actually just inspired the thinking and you have to get those people. I think Paul and I both call them family champions. Those are the ones that have the energy for change. Sometimes they don't have the power because they're in the next generation, but they have the energy for change and they have the energy for the transition and they're keen to just get on with it. And what I've, one of the things I've seen throughout some of the peer groups that Paul and I have been conducting during COVID is that particularly in the next generation, there's a lot of ambition to protect and safeguard jobs. A lot of thinking around being brand custodians, about looking after your communities, about philanthropy. So actually the next generation comes to the thinking about business continuity or, or succession planning with a sort of really quite an open mindset. And often those can be the triggers. How am I going to save the jobs of some of my workforce, given that some of our demand has dropped away? So that can actually allow the older generation to see the next gen in a new light because they're driven and ambitious and they're all about adaptability and strategic renewal. 
And so those sort of almost value-driven pieces can really lead very nicely into a conversation about transition. And Natalie, I think it's also important to understand that the pandemic is, is obviously a serious issue for, for, for firms around the world. But the long-standing family firms have been around for generations. If you take Orson's, the oldest family firm, the oldest direct lineage family firm in Britain, in, in Bridport and Dorset, they go back to 1515, so 325 years old. John White and Son in Scotland goes back to 1715. So they've survived world wars. They've survived industrial yeah. revolution. They've survived the, the kind of the, the birth of the internet. So I think it's really important that we keep the pandemic in context in terms of the long-standing family firms will adapt and change and evolve. And now is that time of transition where there has been a rapid uptake of, of digital, but, but family firms embrace the change and, and innovate and change in order to retain their, their relevance to society and their relevance to their consumer base have got a greater propensity to succeed. And, and family firms do stand the test of time. I think that's a really good point, Paul. And actually, that tied in with what you mentioned, Mari, about values. I mean, you know, in the 2019 survey, Paul, we picked up on this quite a bit. And we've had some discussions over this last few months to kind of anticipate where we might end up in the 2020 survey. But values are integral any family business and you know from creating that competitive advantage to governance sustainability communication all the points that we've mentioned how have you seen family businesses use their values to their strength this year in particular and what more can they focus on as we move forward in lots of ways Natalie I think it's it's every day goes or not a day goes by where you don't see a family business that's doing something for their community being making masks, face guards, uh, delivering mm. food to the community, supporting the, the, the shielded. So the pandemic has really brought out all those family values that are at the heart of family and family life. And family firms really do embrace the communities in which they operate. So it's really helped drive those to the fore. I think in terms of the business context, there's a lot of businesses out there that have family values that are kind of almost unwritten and not written down. And that's the way they live and operate and the way the culture is within the organisation. I think with remote working this year, it's again brought that to the fore. And I think the family business owners that have, have taken the lead and really led from the front are the ones that have led by their values. They've engaged with the community. They've, they've called the furloughed staff on a regular basis. They, they've done video interviews with all of their staff. They've been open to questions. They've been honest and transparent in their communication. Some businesses are struggling and some have struggled really badly and, and, and have been looking for opportunities and how they can do things differently. And they've asked their staff, they've asked their stakeholders. So mm. They've been really transparent and lived the values. And, and reciprocally, then the staff have really stepped up. One of my biggest concerns at the moment is that staff are going above and beyond in terms of trying to be productive. And those that are working from home are possibly working longer hours than they ever did in the office. And there comes a point where that's not sustainable and the health and welfare of staff also needs some consideration because people do want the business, whether they're a family member or not, they do want the business to survive and will do everything they can to make it survive. But, but they need to make sure they're, they're in it for the long term personally, as well as, as, as actually delivering what they need to do on a daily basis. Mario, on the value side, you know, is there anything else that, that you're discussing with your clients at the moment in terms of you and I had a conversation about this recently, you know, people will remember this year, won't they, in the future? It's, it's such a year of significance and how some businesses have responded, be it with their customers, supply chain staff. How can family businesses really bring through their values to stand, help them stand that test of time? Before I answer that, there was something Paul said there it really resonated with me and it, it sounded like it was about commitment, the kind of commitment that family businesses are getting, both from what, particularly Paul, you were talking about their employees and 
is that I think one of the things that I would love to see family firms, or in fact any business, really do more of is embracing that commitment. But with that, almost using it to build good protocols for the future. And by protocols, I mean governance. So actually embracing what people are prepared to do and recognising all the extra work, whether you've been on furlough and returning to work or whether you've been slaving away without a day's rest, trying to be part of the team that keeps the business afloat, that recognising that level of commitment and building that into discussions, as Paul said, with your employees, with your management team, with your board, about how you continue to service the business better and service its people better in the future. So that's a kind of almost a key value point, isn't it? Because a value is really a driving force for everything a family does or decides together. And actually, if you're recognising the extra mile that people have gone, that's a key part of your values. So I would say capitalising on that is something I'd love to see more of. Thanks, Mari. And I think another point that you made there, actually, which is is relevant to all businesses, we talk about governance a lot in relation to family businesses, but governance is key to any business, isn't it? And actually, you know, there's a lot of non-family businesses that can learn from the family business community and actually how they are using governance and family values, you know, to to demonstrate the strengths, the commitment to to their employees and to the sector as we're moving forward now. Yeah, and and, and governance should really support both your ambitions and address your challenges. And all I mean by governance is the right people discussing the right issue at the right time. It's a word that can often make people rankle and think, what is that? But one of the things I try and do with my clients, and, and Paul's example is perfect, was what naturally exists, try and find out what, what, how have people, often some businesses you come across, the 50 years, 60 years they've been running really successfully. They, as Paul said, they've come through all sorts of crises in the past, whether that was a banking crisis and through COVID. What, how did they do that? What naturally exists as values within that organisation that allowed them to be better than their competitors and survive? I think it's our job as advisors of any kind of family to get under the skin to really find out what's made them successful today and how do we sort of capture that in planning for the future. And I think that in some ways that is a values exercise. It's really understanding what's driving a family and then how do they translate that into their desired future and capturing the commitment uh, and the energy of the staff and the next generation within that. I think that's really important, uh, Natalie. Uh, Murray, Murray hits it sort of the nail on the head. I think it's, it's all about future-proofing as, as we plan for the future. Yeah. I mean, God forbid we've just been through or going through a pandemic now, but actually I think businesses need to take stock when they get chance and actually really almost document the, the key steps they took on day one, day two, week one, week two of the pandemic. So they can almost put a framework and a protocol down that says this, this was almost our disaster recovery approach, which many of them have had to fly by the, the seat of their pants to really implement new ways of working and new governance and stuff. And actually, I think we should try and capture some of that so that in the future, because there will be something down the line, be it in the next generation or in 150 years time, that, that, that people have to, to react in the same way that we've had to react this year. And so we need to make sure we learn from, from the processes we've been through. The board I sit on in Colorado a second generation family business not only are they going through an ownership transition at this time but also they are a sports and events business they have had their market utterly decimated they work across all the states 
in America and into into Mexico. And they have had 75% of their profit wiped out for this year. And they're looking at refunds into next year. The workforce is gone. Furlough is not the same there as it is here. I'm using this as an example to show the way they have thought through not only what they've called their offense tactics, but their defense tactics. What are the opportunities? You know, because there will be opportunities for firms coming out of this. And so how can firms capture, family businesses capture what they've done well and can put protocols in place to continue that, to do that well, where their customers are and continue to, to meet demand, even though it may have shifted around a bit, but also where are the opportunities? I'd like to see a bit more of that, families thinking about where the opportunities are and really the voice of the next generation in there, as Paul said. There's been that. They're, they typically are more nimble using tech to meet market demand and comfortable with research and innovation. So actually, what, how can you harness those skills for the next gen and looking for opportunities? Picking up on the point of opportunities and, and staying positive rather than focusing only on challenges, what are you seeing in terms of opportunities? Are there any key trends? I, I know something can be, rather than being sector specific, let's say, in a granular level, are there any obvious opportunities that you are now seeing, thinking about everything that we've discussed so far? The, the opportunities are out there. And I think actually the family firms that, that I've been talking to, and as you know, we've done a few CEO Insight webinars throughout the pandemic. And, and if you listen to someone like Jake Carrier at Jake and Names, the, the, brand, the food brand based in Leicestershire, they're bringing out new products, they're trying to find new markets, and they're continuing to invest in advertising to promote their brand. So they've, they've launched some new products and, and they're just one of many that are beginning to use advertising and digital to get their products out there and, and launch new things. Caribbean Blinds, who make solar paneled kind of blinds and, and outdoor living pods, are doing really well at the moment because of the, the, the fact that people are doing staycations. But again, they're investing in a new, a new, new development of their, 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 their site, recruiting more staff. I've seen wholesale food producers take on domestic distribution routes, and they're going to continue that afterwards as well. So there's new opportunities in terms of routes to market. And even some of the, the, the kind of the stories that started out as being relatively negative was as a, a pizza-based manufacturer and a, a frozen pizza manufacturer in Scotland who was an FBU member and, and, and we helped her because they were concerned about the future, but they've launched frozen dough balls, which are they're now rolling out into supermarkets across the country. So there are lots of opportunities coming to the fore. And I think it's important that, that people just try and identify those opportunities and don't lose the opportunity or the chance to make them work and take things to market. So there's a lot of positive things out there. Mari, you obviously deal with a, a, a lot of international businesses as well. Is that generally a, a similar consensus or are you seeing different opportunities present themselves based on different locations? It's so difficult to draw comparison across even one person's experience next to the neighbours today. And it's, so it's, I'm finding it very difficult to draw comparison across business. And I'm sorry if that makes me sometimes sound a bit more theoretical and vague because it's it's so hard everything as Paul knows it's really down to that individual family and that individual business and its set of circumstances what I am seeing in regards to opportunities is people thinking about how they emerge from COVID with their brand intact and what I mean by that is retaining the customers that they have operating based on their values but also as Paul says thinking well what are the opportunities vertically in my routes to market and Horizontally, I love that story about the frozen dough balls, and that will then lead them into no doubt a new business segment as they move forward. And it's brilliant to hear those kind of stories emerging. And I, I think that's something that if you have a close 
dialogue with your customers who are typically going to be more cautious, of course they are, and with your suppliers and your community, you will spot those opportunities. And I think family businesses are particularly good at that, keeping close to their customers and keeping thinking about how do we get through this with our brand intact. I think it almost takes us full circle as well, doesn't it? Because the brand and, and everything that you've mentioned there actually takes us back to the communication point at the start. If there's clear communication across the board, be it with employees, stakeholders, supply chain, customers, that is going to help the future proofing of, of any family business. Absolutely. And that's one of the that's one of my tips or opportunities is to think to encourage families to actually use this time as they emerge as Paul has said, think about what went well and what's gone badly and what people need going forward, your employees, your suppliers, your subcontractors, your customers. But also start thinking about how your communication is. You know, test your quality, test your effectiveness. I think one of the things I've certainly heard feedback for is people on furlough felt really isolated. So as they come back into work in, in however the numbers are looking small or large, how can you continue to make sure that they feel included and how effective is your communication being and really how can you continue to work on that as business comes back up to speed or you're going off into different areas? And that's, yeah, I think one of the things we often talk about is the fact that business owners need to focus on the business and focus on the strategy. And I think the one thing the pandemic has really brought to the fore is that day-to-day operations have almost had to go out of the window and they've had to think strategically about how they get from day one to day two, week one to week two, and month to month. So I think that strategic focus has been really, really important. And and I really implore them to, to continue to focus on the strategy and the moving forward and, and really not fall back into maybe some of the old ways of doing things. And as Mari says, when some of the furloughed staff come back, just making sure the new team culture and the positivity and all the energy and all the new initiatives and the new innovations that, that businesses have had to bring in they're not forgotten so people don't take a step back. I think they need to build on what they've been through and harness the opportunities and really build on those opportunities to drive the business to the next stage. I think that comes with challenges. I do think that, that the businesses that are bringing back furloughed staff, where they've had people, as, as Murray just alluded to, that have been working flat out for four months without a day off, there is going to be a degree of resentment, whether it's, it's over or covert. There's going to be some challenges in terms of, of who's important or, or, or status and levels within, within the organization in terms of roles. So I think it's that whole team culture that, that, that they need to, family firms need to really focus on making sure that the culture is maintained and that everybody is valued and that everyone has a contribution. And it's all part of that strategic focus going forward. I think it's especially important given that, that many firms that I've spoken to are on salary cuts or they're doing four-day weeks. I think that level, recognizing that level of commitment is, is a really tough conversation. And how do you get people back in sync, whether they're owners, the management team, employees? It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really tough one, Murray. And I think the business owners that sort of get it right or get it more right than wrong are the ones that, that have an honest conversation. And they appreciate mm-hmm. that. And they, they say that, that times are tough. Things are tough. We're all making cutbacks. We're all doing. But it's that honesty, isn't it? That honesty and the integrity that underlies the family business community is really important. I think the other thing I've seen, Nasty, that's really come to the fore is that, that we've always known it's there. And it's why I set up FBU in the first place. It's that community and that community of family business leaders. The number of peer sessions I've been on with CEOs of multi-million pound businesses, talking to their peers really openly and sharing across uh, industries the, the, the challenge they face and the real honest conversations that CEOs have been having to, with, with, with fellow CEOs. 
They may have had them in the past, but I've never seen the conversational level to the extent it's been and the openness and the honesty of the conversation to the level it's been in the last couple of months. And I think family firms have been really supportive of each other and mm. they've tried to do business with each other. And that, that community has really, really come to the fore. And I love that. Obviously, I love that. That's what I do. But I think it's really important that we recognise that, that family firms do look out for each other. That collaborative nature is obviously clearly something that makes family businesses so special as well. And, you know, you mentioned it at the start. It's, they really are the, the backbone of the economy and we need to make sure that we can support them as much as possible. We've obviously covered quite a lot today, but and it might be difficult to condense this into kind of three points. But would you be able to each share kind of three top tips for family businesses that they can start to focus on as they, as they move into this next stage of the planning and move away from the crisis management and think ahead to future proof the business? For me, I think it's all about communication, strategic communication at all levels, team culture and people, and making sure that people are empowered to do their jobs and given the responsibility, the authority and part of that whole team and that family business team. And I think for me, learn from the, the story, learn from the narrative, tell the narrative, tell your story. And, and actually all the positivity and pride that family firms have shown over the last three months, continue that, that journey and actually get the story out there and be proud of who you are. And maybe in the past, family firms have hidden their light under a bushel a bit, but really embrace who you are, what you're doing and the positive impact that you're having on the lives of those that work for you and, and actually live and work within the communities in which you operate. I think for me, really, it's very similar to Paul. We used to say that in planning family businesses, what they would typically focus on, to your point earlier, Natalie, about balancing the need to plan for the business and family success, is we used to call it warm hearts and deep pockets. I think now it's a bit more warm hearts and survival. But I would still say that that focus on thinking about what have you learned as you've come through this and how can you apply that into your into your new future and being comfortable with that conversation I think Paul's point on communication key always ongoing and I think from that trying to get people into sync as much as you can and recognizing really thirdly ties in recognizing your human capital that's one of the things that make family businesses incredibly unique it's a natural advantage for your business if you can encourage the sort of personal commitment that people have shown through COVID. And so take a moment to celebrate that in amongst working very hard to keep going, I would say, other three things. Sorry, they sort of bled him together a bit. I hope that's okay. That's great. It's hard to kind of separate them out, isn't it? Because, you know, every point that we've touched upon leads in and weaves into another point. But thank you both. That's been a really helpful session. And I'm sure that we will have a number of listeners who can take those points and put them into action. But where can people find out more about you both? On my website, which I hope will be in the show notes, which is businessfamilies.co.uk. And I'm at mary.mickle on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Please reach out. I'm, I'm very happy to to have a conversation with people on the phone if they have something they want to run through or ideas. I think Paul and I are both quite open to that. So yeah, reach out. Yeah, totally. Familybusinessunited.com is the online magazine and portal. No passwords, free resources for everybody on everything we've covered today. And at FamilyBizPaul on on Twitter, um, as Murray said, always happy to have a conversation and to try and help family firms profile what they're doing. So yeah, please do get in touch. Amazing. Thank you both so much. So that brings the first episode of the Exploring Family Business podcast with Mazars to a close. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to the series and leave a review on iTunes. It will really help us extend our reach to the family business community 
so we can continue to share our knowledge and that of the guests. And if you want to know more about anything that we've discussed today, or if you have any specific topics in mind that you'd like us to cover in future shows, I've detailed links in the show notes to our guests, contact details, our website, and some of the publications that we discussed earlier. Join us next week when we'll be interviewing Hannah Barlow and Tom Matthew from Dunster's Farm. They were awarded the 2020 Family Business Entrepreneurship Award because of the resilience, tenacity and speed of response that they've demonstrated this year in transforming their business from operating in a B2B environment to B2C. Hannah and Tom have really been candid in their assessment of what has worked well for them and what hasn't not just this year, but also over the last five years as they took on the leadership and management of the business as the third generation. I'm sure there's a number of listeners who will appreciate their honest account and who can also take something away to help them in their own family business. I look forward to sharing more with you then, but for now, thank you for listening.